Who is the best president in South Africa's history? Who's the worst? And how do we rank all the presidents that we've ever had? In this episode, we do a tier list ranking of every South African president in history. Let's get into it. Spread the fire. Spread the fire. Spread the fire. Spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. If you're new around here, my name is Dr. Cesar Mbofu-Walsh, and on this channel, we explore South African politics through interviews and analysis. Now, we often do current affairs analysis and reacting to what's happening in South African politics, but today I want to sit back and do something which is more historical and think about who are the best presidents in South African history and how could we rank the presidents? Now, of course, this is a very subjective and personal take on the presidents. Think of your best presidents, worst presidents, and comment down below if you agree or disagree on my ranking. But I thought it would be an interesting debate to have. So to inject a certain amount of objectivity, let me start by just saying what criteria I'm going to be using for this analysis for the different presidents. And then we're going to go chronologically in order through the different South African presidents and rank them. And then I'll also tell you the ranking system. So in terms of the criteria that I'm going to use, firstly, it's going to be the economic performance of the president. To what extent did they lift the economic fortunes of the nation? The second is I'm going to look at the political situation. What political achievements and political challenges did the president experience? Then I'm going to do like a social climate criteria and social gains, which aren't necessarily political or economic. And then I'm also going to look at their demeanor and their character and just how they were as a person and or how they put themselves across as a person. Because a president is, is like someone who has a personal connection with each person in a nation, even if they never get to meet that president. So we're going to look at each of the presidents according to those criteria. Now, of course, not every president had the same amount of time, so we'll have to fig uh, figure and factor that in to our analysis. So we've got a five-tier ranking system. So the top tier of, of a president is the Ayeye tier. And the Ayeye tier is amazing. You, you just can't be better than that tier. That's like the top tier of presidency. Then we've got another tier, which is a very good president who really did very good things. Then we've got average. Then we've got the age level, where things start to get a little bit troubling. And then we've got failed without a supplementary. Uh, this comes from Lukona Nguni in one of our episodes, who said that one of the presidents in South Africa failed without a sup. So that's the lowest level. So we're going to rank all the presidents according to these tiers, and you'll be able to see these tiers on your, on your screen right now. Okay, so let's get into it with the first president, Utata Madiba. Okay, so the Mandela presidency. Now, once again, disclaimer. Here, I'm not talking about the life of Mandela or the period after his presidency. I'm talking about his presidency specifically from 1994 to 1999. In fact, it's actually an interesting historical era because we think of Mandela a lot through his life before the presidency. 
We think of him a lot in terms of his life after the presidency, but often his presidential years are overlooked. So where would we rank Dada Matiba, or as the kids call him, Nelly M? Why, kids, are you calling such an esteemed figure Nelly M? The disrespect is serious. Like, um, So where do we rank President Mandela? So I would say let's 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 first look at some of the achievements because we can't underestimate those achievements, right? Taking South Africa from apartheid into the democratic era and just holding together a government, holding together peace and stability so that the country didn't descend into civil war and really being the founding president of a nation can't be underestimated. So that obviously, I think, goes very high in terms of the ranking. I think the, the legislative achievements, which, by the way, form part of the political achievements, which I'll talk about, are also underestimated in the Mandela presidency. So there were really significant laws and acts um, that were passed that have stayed with us to this day. So, for example, there were a series of important land acts back when the ANC was serious about land to the extent that it ever really was. Land acts about restitution, land acts about uh, the security of tenure and making sure that people had secure tenure rights to land. There were a wave of really important land acts. There was the Labor Relations Act to make the workplace more fair. There was... Uh, there was affirmative action as, as a policy proposal which was backed up by certain legislation which really laid the groundwork for South Africa and the state trying to become a place where the black majority which had been excluded became re-included into the economy. By the way, for all those who oppose affirmative action but have Nelson Mandela pictures on their wall, explain that contradiction because he was the person who really led with that as a signature policy and we need to often remember as the debate becomes more complex that this was about bringing those who had been excluded from apartheid back into the center of the economy and Mandela was behind a lot of that so there were a lot of really important and landmark achievements on the economic front Mandela and the Mandela presidency we'll see this as a running theme throughout many presidencies but it really struggled to hit the high notes of growth, struggled with unemployment, poverty, inequality. Now, it was understandable back then because, of course, South Africa was coming out of apartheid, which was like a factory for unemployment, poverty and inequality and injustice. So we can't necessarily blame Mandela for the economic cards he was dealt. But at the same time, growth remained, the average growth rate in the Mandela presidency was around 2%. So South Africa's economy was never truly fully unlocked. Now, during the Mandela presidency, there were really two economic policies that were adopted. The first was called the Reconstruction and Development Program. And in many ways, this was an attempt to really deal with, to the extent that the ANC ever has, the structural problems of apartheid. So reconstruction, rebuilding the country that was decimated. Apartheid and colonialism were like a war that destroyed South Africa. And we had to rebuild. So there was reconstruction, 
but you don't just reconstruct, you develop on top of that reconstruction. So it's like, let's rebuild and develop at the same time. And for some reason, that policy was abandoned before it ever really got a chance to blossom. And it was abandoned for a policy called GEAR, Growth, Employment and Redistribution. And that was seen as a move to the right of the economic policy spectrum, where the ANC started abandoning the reconstruction idea and the reconstruction and development idea and really started moving more towards market-led growth, putting growth at the center rather than reconstruction like with RDP, and moving towards what was seen as a more neoliberal policy outcome. What does that really mean? Market-led, increased role of the private sector, the withdrawal of the state from the economy and effectively a more economic management role for the state rather than an interventionist role. So the Mandela presidency had these two economic policy impulses and many people, and I include myself as one of them, are disappointed that they never continued on the RDP reconstruction path and went more for the gear path. This was all the rage at the time in global economics, and many countries were being encouraged to, to go down the gear route. But it's a shame, and I wonder where South Africa would be right now if we carried on with, with RDP. So on the economic front, the Mandela presidency wasn't a, a tremendous success by, by any stretch of the imagination. What Mandela did institute, and which has been a, a firm policy for the ANC ever since is a strong welfare state. So the social net, uh, social grant system, the network of different state support systems that uh, prevented the poorest of South Africans from falling into complete destitution and poverty. And that was a, a progressive and a profound step, I think, as well. Uh, but it's a pity that we haven't been able to build on top of that. Education and health outcomes really remained relatively stagnant. And when you look at life expectancy in the Mandela presidency, it started to take off. But there's a fascinating thing that happens, which is for a good decade or 15 years after South Africa comes out of apartheid, although life expectancy looks like it's going to start going up, it actually goes down for a very long time. And we're actually only uh, witnessing better life expectancy around now in South Africa. Uh, than during apartheid. And there's a reason for that, which I'm going to come to on the next presidency. So all in all, uh, there's so much more we could talk about. There was the TRC that Mandela, you know, uh, embarked embarked on in large part, although there was a, a national effort. And we've spoken in interviews on this channel and stuff about about that process, which which I think ultimately didn't achieve what it was supposed to achieve. So... Another important thing to end was Mandela ending his presidency and keeping his presidency to five years. Maybe we underestimate how important that was because Mandela could have been president for 20 years, quite frankly. He had that much political capital. But he decided to cut his presidency short, in part signaling that it's not about the length of time that you hold power, but it's about what you do when you have the power. And so that five years, it was just five years, but it was a profound moment for our country. Um, how could I forget the constitution itself came into being in Mandela's presidency, although it had been negotiated before. Uh, 1996 was when it really actually became the constitution that we know. So 
So much that's foundational to South Africa happened in that presidency. The government of national unity, keeping that together, and then it broke apart, and then we had our first proper ANC government under Mandela. So I think it would be a mistake to call the Mandela presidency Ayeye level, because I think at the end of this video, I'm going to talk about what an Ayeye presidency would actually look like. And I don't think anyone so far has achieved an Ayeye level presidency. But I think the Mandela presidency, despite its mistakes, falls into the level of very good, a very good presidency. Country was more united. The economy, okay, wasn't doing amazingly, but wasn't tanking and a lot of foundational important legislation and reforms. So I'm gonna give the Mandela presidency a very good. Now let's go on to former president Thabo Mbeki. Right, so let's come on to our first two-term presidency, someone who has left lasting marks on South Africa and who governed for double the time of Nelson Mandela. That's former president Thabo Mbeki. Let's come on to the achievements of the Mbeki era because they are considerable. Now, where the Mandela presidency probably didn't outperform economically, I think we have to give a lot of pre uh, credit to the Mbeki presidency on the economic front. The Mbeki presidency was the, the most growth that we have ever seen as a country economically. The average economic growth in the 10-year period was 4.5%, but there were moments where our economy was hitting 5-6%, roughly in that area, growth rates. For those of you who are younger and watching, we were a serious country at the time. We were like one of those countries that was growing fast in the world. People were looking at the South African economy like, wow, this could be one of the next big economies in the world. We were growing. We were moving. We were even making dents on unemployment. I spoke to economist Duma Kobule on this channel recently, and he was looking very closely into the unemployment numbers in the Mbeki era. And there's this myth that there was jobless growth, that there, was, that there wasn't a lot of employment, even though the economy was growing. And he shows that actually we were creating a lot of jobs at the time, also losing a lot of jobs at, or, or a lot of job seekers. So the job seekers were growing as well. But the economy really was starting to create jobs and if we carried on on that trajectory we would be much better in terms of unemployment of course there was still an unemployment crisis and and no president has really been able to deal with unemployment as you'll see but at least the economy was growing and and it was it was a great time what a time to be alive those of us who were there in the Mbeki presidency I saw on social media on Twitter there was a clip of that um, DJ Smoo song shout out to to DJ Smoo uh, remember when it rained, that video, that music video, Trevor Noah there dancing before he was famous. I was there during that time, people. Life was good. Remember when it rained times? Oh, no load shedding on, in December. Like, life was good. The country was growing. 2010 World Cup was on the horizon. Things were, those were good days. Those were, we had water sometimes. Like, yo, life was good, man. So <laughs> that was the Mbeki presidency. Like there was actually some, some on the international stage, hmm, I didn't speak much about Mandela's foreign policy, but Mbeki's foreign policy, also tremendous achievement. In fact, Mbeki was really the, the mind that brought South Africa into what we now call BRICS. Uh, Zuma consolidated that. 
but Mbeki started or is part of something called IBSA, India, Brazil, and South Africa, which was that block that then turned into BRICS over time. Mkwasa Zana Jamini Zuma was an excellent foreign minister. Uh, we were becoming part of G20 conversations, being invited to the G8. Uh, we were a very important voice opposing uh, the Iraq war, and we were being taken increasingly seriously. Um, we had our first uh, non-permanent security council seat, I believe, and we were a serious voice on the international stage as well. So I think those two things distinguished the Mbeki presidency, and um, we were a real country, right? Politically speaking, Mbeki took the ANC to its biggest victory, electoral victory ever when in the 2004 election, I think the ANC went from, what it was like above two-thirds. Um, so the ANC had a massive electoral majority um, at the time, and that was really the high point of ANC political success, 2004 in the country. Let's talk about some of the, of the failures and challenges of the Mbeki era. Now, of course, there was the period of AIDS denialism, which really hampered the Mbeki presidency. So remember I was talking about life expectancy. In other words, how long the average person in a country will live, right? Look at this. Because of the HIV AIDS pandemic, which affected basically everyone in, in South Africa, everyone knows someone close to them who either died of or was, was infected by HIV and, and died of, of HIV and AIDS. South African life expectancy, even though our economy was growing, even though apartheid was over, South African life expectancy declined and it declined very rapidly. And it's taken us up until now, like 20 years later, to recover from what happened to life expectancy in South Africa as a result of us failing to provide antiretroviral treatment to those who contracted HIV and AIDS in that period. And this was really a policy decision. Becky had to be taken to court, and eventually the government had to be forced to provide this, this treatment and care, which ultimately it was provided in the Zuma era, which we often forget, which is a foreshadowing one of the successes of the Zuma presidency. But that was a true failure, and a true failure that could be counted in the cost of, of lives. So one thing you'll see is that as a country, we've never really had it good good and we've almost come to believe that it's like impossible to have it good there are other countries out there who have it good people like very good for very long economies growing life expectancies going up corruption is down yes it's it's not perfect anywhere but i think we've started to believe in south africa that it's not possible to have it good because we've never had a truly golden era but maybe one day we'll have a golden era. So the the so so that was one challenge was was the HIV AIDS and and the AIDS denialism of the Mbeki years. Another challenge uh, of the Mbeki years was foreign policy. Um, uh, apart from some of the victories, there was the question of our, our foreign policy towards Zimbabwe at a time of the the Mugabe era, a time when it was becoming fairly clear that the integrity of Zimbabwean elections was um, beyond, beyond doubt not 
uh, appropriate. Um, and South Africa was seen as not speaking out as critically against the Zimbabwean government for its excesses. We can debate that, whether that was a true success or failure, because ultimately Mbeki in 2008 comes together with a, a kind of peace accord that brings in a new Zimbabwean constitution and stabilizes the situation there. But ANC policy in Southern Africa has always been a little bit uh, found wanting in my view. It's based on liberation movement solidarities, which I think are outdated and it needs to overcome that. So the Mbeki era is an era where things are on the move. South Africa feels like it's a country that is realizing its promise. But there are these problems that seem to be impossible to overcome, which become much greater in subsequent presidencies. There's the problem of corruption as well and the arms deal. And this is the first time where we see the ANC really backing its own uh, defending its own against allegations of corruption. And there are increasing allegations of corruption in the party. It doesn't become so widespread that it's clouding the other achievements, but it, people are starting to wonder and worry, like, what's going on with corruption inside the ANC? Of course, towards the end of the Mbeki presidency, we can talk about its end. And in some ways, because Mbeki wanted to stand for a third term as ANC president, um, even though he couldn't be president of South Africa, that is partly why the Bologwane conference became such a contested conference, because you had Mbeki groups on the one hand saying Mbeki must have a third term in the ANC, and you had the Zuma grouping saying, well, that's too much power for one person. He's had his time, and there should be succession. And it's an interesting thing to think. If Mbeki did get that third term, it would be interesting to see where South Africa would be right now. Um, but could he have picked a successor more elegantly in a way that didn't plunge the ANC and therefore the country into that succession crisis? Of course, Mbeki's, one of Mbeki's biggest decisions was to fire the person who would become the president in due course, Jacob Zuma, uh, when when his corruption trial led to Mbeki taking the decision to fire him and having been fired, Zuma then mounted a rear guard action and ousted Mbeki at the Bologwane conference. If you want to know more about that, read uh, one of the books that I've written here, Democracy and Delusion, because I, I talk about that, that process more there. So for Mbeki... All in all, let's come to his personal demeanor, scholarly, uh, far from the Madiba charisma, but a certain sense of seriousness, a certain sense of being on top of policy, a sense of, of attention to detail that we probably haven't ever seen since. Mbeki could master very complex issues and synthesize them and create policy for those, which was one of his great gifts. So I'm going to put the Mbeki presidency. I would say that, okay, I think that the Mandela presidency is probably very good to Aieye, like between, if there was a category there. I'm going to put the Mbeki presidency as well in very good 
maybe it could be between very good and 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 the the average category but I think there's a lot that, that was going for the Mbeki presidency. The major failure was AIDS, AIDS denialism, and that's why we can't put it higher. And and that's a serious price that the Mbeki presidency made South Africa pay. But all in all, I would say very good. Comment below if you agree or disagree with these ratings so far. Let's continue with an interesting presidency that only lasted nine months, President Khalema Mutlante. Let's come to President Mutlante. Now, this is an interesting presidency because it only lasted nine months, as I said. So how did that happen? So Polokwane happens, the ANC's conference in December. Mbeki versus Zuma. Zuma wins. Mbeki is out. Zuma is president of the ANC. At the time, Zuma is facing corruption charges. So he is not made president of the country. Rather, a caretaker president comes in until South Africa goes to elections. In that intervening period, corruption charges against Zuma are dropped and he becomes president. So Mutlante is an interesting presidency which shows that you don't have to be president for long to have a good presidency. I think the Mutlante presidency was was good. But let's have a look at some of the things he was grappling with and also some of the challenges. So Mutlante had to basically stabilize government during this period of internal war in the ANC between Zuma and, and Mbeki. And he also was dealing with the global financial crisis that had just hit uh, the, the end of the Mbeki presidency. So Mbeki keeps on being president, and then effectively the ANC recalls him from the presidency in September that year. Now, that was a major moment because South Africa had never seen a president who was in office being told, thank you, but you now need to leave office. So Mutlante comes in under that, that very difficult period and stabilizes things relatively well. He completely changes tune and course over HIV AIDS and starts wearing the pin, changing government policy, which was a big shift in the Bolokwane conference as well. And that starts seeing a turnaround which had started towards the end of the Mbeki presidency really consolidated. Mutlante makes some good judicial appointments. Justice Edwin Cameron appointed during his period as uh, advocate Jeremy Gauntlet said at, at the end of Edwin Cameron's term, when some political windows are open, they must be jumped through. So Mutlante took advantage of the power he had and made some great appointments. There was one stain on the Mutlante presidency, which was the disbandment of the Scorpions. The Scorpions being this crime unit that was set up just to look at like high-profile corruption that uh, President Mbeki's administration had set up. And the Scorpions were actually serious. They were actually doing well at investigating high-profile corruption. They were, they, they were really making a dent. And of course, this didn't make them popular with politicians. And they started to become seen as this group that was just targeting quote-unquote people. And effectively, the ANC... Uh, under the leadership of Zuma, decided, no, no, uh, we don't want this Scorpions thing anymore. We're going to have a new unit called the Hawks. And Mutlante was the president who was there when the Scorpions were uh, officially disbanded. And we've seen the effects of that over time. So that was a, a stain on his presidency. It was only nine months. So I'm going to put him in the category of, of good 
obviously it's not nine years or even five years, but there also were some important decisions made. And I think his demeanor was, was, was good. It was one of gravitas that was brought to that office and he didn't lower the esteem or the respect of the office by any means. So because it was only nine months, I'll give him good. But I think Khalema Motlante is possibly one of the best presidents that South Africa never really had. And again, interesting historical counterfactual. What would South Africa have been like if we got a longer Khalema Motlante presidency? I think probably a better country, actually. Let's move on to none other than former president Jacob Zuma. Okay, and now we move on to former president Jacob Zuma. Now, hmm, I know this is where there are extreme opinions on either side. So comment down below if you agree or you disagree with with the analysis. But hmm, the Zuma presidency is a difficult one because people feel very strongly about former president Zuma. They either really, really love him and he's the best president we ever had or or they really don't, and he's the worst thing that ever happened to South Africa. What were some of the achievements of the Zuma presidency? Well, I think firstly, we've spoken about the period of AIDS denialism and what that did to South African life expectancy for a decade and more. I think maybe the biggest achievement of the Zuma presidency was the the treatment plan for HIV prevention and also HIV treatment that was rolled out that basically became the biggest attempt to address a, uh, an epidemic like that ever um, in South African history. And we took infection rates down, but most importantly, death rates came down and the state provided treatment to millions and millions of people uh, across the country. So that was a major achievement of the Zuma administration, one that can't be denied. Uh, that was that was certainly in the early term. I think another achievement was uh, the successful hosting of the World Cup in 2010, which was a, a major moment, a major high for the South African nation. Of course, there's some thoughts about whether that was the best thing to be doing in hindsight um, with all of our resources and, and all of that. But it was a major moment for our country and, and Zuma was president at that time. He did important things in renewable energy, funnily enough. And so I, I think those, I would say, would be the major achievements of the Zuma era. There were, there were major failures in the Zuma era that I think we also have to acknowledge and accept. The one is economic. So we'll, we'll get on to the economic situation that we currently face. But once again, just like Mbeki and Mandela before him, the Zuma administration was unable to deal with economic inequality, unemployment, and poverty. And by around 2015, poverty levels were actually going back up instead of going down slowly. Unemployment levels were starting to go back up. Inequality was stubbornly high and going back up. 
So none of our presidents, but in, in specifically former President Zuma, could ever get a handle on getting the economy to grow again, even like it was in the Mbeki era or even beyond that. The South African economy should be growing at 10%. It should be one of the booming economies of the world. And yet we've never, we've never really got it above six in, in the democratic era. Now, apart from the, the economic problems, and, and there was just policy incoherence. There was, there was the National Development Plan. Then there was the New Growth Path as well. And then at some point, former President Zuma had the nine-point plan, which was different to that. And one just never knew. And then the, at the end of the presidency, there was more talk of radical economic transformation. So you just never knew what the policy actually was. And there were so many different policies at different times. Then, of course, we had the state capture and corruption moment. Now, I think in hindsight, uh, the intensity of the state capture moment in the media maybe overplayed the, the significance of that moment compared to the long span of corruption in South Africa that has always been endemic and troubling and has succeeded the Zuma era. And at that time, it kind of felt as if there was some kind of new form and new intensity of corruption. And I'm not convinced that that's actually the case. But there's no doubt that that corruption was a major problem and that it was a problem that had been growing from the Mandela to the Mbeki era and into the Zuma era. And of course, Zuma had his own corruption allegations, which didn't help that he was at the helm of a government where major corruption um, was being was being uh, alleged. So we had some strange appointments. We had a state that was losing lots and lots of money. It wasn't exactly clear where it was going. We had state-owned enterprises that were beginning to really get to difficult and, and troubling financial positions. And a lot of what has come out of the Zondo Commission has shown what was happening during that era. Now, I don't think that the Zondo Commission got everything right. Um, I think some of its findings are tenuous at best. Some of the findings are just, well, we need to investigate more. So a lot of the findings haven't been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. But as citizens, we aren't criminal courts of law. We can make decisions about the balance of probabilities as well. And I think corruption in the Zuma era on the balance of probabilities, the Gupta family and their significant influence in the state. Again, there are many rich people with influence in South Africa, as we've seen, but that doesn't mean what the Guptas did was right. Um, their capacity to seemingly hire and fire ministers or know about things before anyone knew about them um, and their reach into the state was a real thing. So that was a real detraction from the Zuma era. And those two things combined, the slow economic performance, yes, sometimes it was 2% growth, 3% at the best times. During the financial crisis, obviously it was, it was closer to zero or slight recession. The country's infrastructure, service delivery just kept going backwards. And, and during the Zuma era, people really started wondering, hold on, where's this like, good life that we've been promised because it keeps getting delayed and deferred and I think for the first time many South Africans were like wow I don't know if the ANC 
is ever going to turn this ship around? Like how much time do they need? Another uh, worrying moment in the Zuma presidency was, of course, Marikana, um, when when all those mine workers were were killed by the police and the build up to that. And what was worrying about that was the way that the government and the state came in on the side of powerful and rich mining corporations and really treated the striking workers as if they were just an irritation and a nuisance that had to be got rid of. And I think that was a true indictment on the Zuma presidency as well. So I'm trying to be balanced in my analysis here. I think there is a, a need not to go to too many extremes. During the Zuma presidency, I think there was a lot of extreme commentary. There were achievements in the early part of, of that presidency. Zuma had a capacity to connect with, with ordinary people in a way that maybe no president before him had. But at the same time, look around. There was no amazing period in South Africa. In fact, things got a lot worse on a lot of fronts. So I'm going to give the Zuma presidency somewhere between Aish and average, leaning towards Aish, I think, because of the disappointment that was starting to grow in the country at that time. But let's see where we go with the final incumbent that we will be discussing, President Cyril Ramaphosa. Okay, let's talk about the current president as I sit here, who's coming to the end of his first term, President Cyril Madamela Ramaphosa. Now, as the kids, some of the kids are also calling him President Rango. Why are, pre uh, are we so disrespectful to our presidents? Um, so look, it's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you. And this is what has killed the, pres the, the Ramaphosa presidency. President Cyril Ramaphosa came to office and everyone, it felt like, was celebrating. There was going to be a new leaf. The ANC was going to get tough on corruption. There was going to be fewer ministers. He understood the economy, so the economy was going to start growing and the new dawn, as he called it, was going to be upon us. And what that did was it set expectations at the IAEA level of a presidency. So everyone was expecting this major turnaround, this major shift. And ultimately, what got the Ramaphosa presidency, at least the first term, he might get another five years. Let's see what happens in the South African election. If you're watching this, we're filming before the 2024 election. What got the Ramaphosa presidency was the hopes. They were set so high, and so when he didn't achieve those hopes, it felt very much like failing without a sub. So wh what did President Ramaphosa get right? I think he... Uh, what did President Ramaphosa get right? Ah, oh, guys, come on. <laughs> Y'all are messed up, man. Come on. There must be something. <laughs> Can someone give me something that, that's going right? <laughs> Just anything. Like 
uh, you see, like, that's the thing. I Okay, all I can say is, like, one thing I appreciate <laughs> about Prism Dramaposa is, uh, I said this in my interview with Kanita Hunter. In the Zuma era, it was getting a bit worrying that if you criticized the president, the state could come after you. Now, you could never exactly prove that or whatever, but state repression felt, we spoke about Marikana. Oh, unfortunately, that doesn't help President Ramaphosa very much either because he was involved there. But I think state repression is no longer a major worry and there's no sense that the presidency is using its pressure even on the criminal justice system to attack its opponents like was happening in the Zuma era. Majela Koko, who we've had on the show and watched that episode, would have a different experience because he thinks he's been uh, attacked by the state and maybe there's, that's true, but there wasn't a widespread um, attack on opponents. So I think President Ramaphosa, he's committed constitutionalist and he's not using the state to repress, especially not the, the, the police and that kind of apparatus, as far as I'm aware. So I think that's a good thing. Um, he, he's a unifying figure to the extent that rugby World Cups and stuff, you know, he tries to bring people. <laughs> I'm trying. Oh, I don't know if we're going to cut this laughing out or leave it in. <laughs> it's just that things are so rough right now. Like, I don't know what to say. Uncle Cyril, I don't know what to say. Like, and 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 that's the thing. It's just like we expected so much. And the problem with the Ramaphosa presidency is, if you look at the economy, it's performed worse than the Zuma presidency. I'm just looking at the numbers here. It's performed worse than the Mbeki presidency and the Mandela presidency. Of course, President Ramaphosa had major challenges like COVID. But even before COVID, the, the economy wasn't turning around. So it feels like the economy is in such a bad place right now that that was a major failure. Unemployment just skyrocketed. Poverty deeper. Inequality, it's like we've given up even trying to, to resolve. And what, what's interesting to me is even growth. I would have thought President Ramaphosa with his, with his background in commerce could have done more to get the economy growing and really leveraging the so-called investment promises into true economic growth, but hasn't come close to, for example, the Mbeki presidency. At a time when, I might add, many global economies are actually growing, uh, were growing before COVID, have rebounded much faster than South Africa after COVID. The anti-corruption thing just didn't, it flopped quite frankly, let's be honest. Like, South Africans were expecting to see people being fired, different ministers coming in, and President Ramaphosa has delayed and prevaricated, and it doesn't feel like there's a true anti-corruption push. It feels like there's anti-corruption rhetoric, and there are a few little, quote, green shoots if you look hard enough, but it's not a resounding anti-corruption moment that was promised. It just isn't. So I feel like President Ramaphosa is a victim of, his, of the expectations he set. And by the way, no one made the promises for him. 
No one made that new dawn speech for him. Load shedding, which was bad before, has gone to unimaginable proportions in the Ramaphosa era. I think he promised us like at many different times it was going to end. He was going to look into it. It's going to end in two years. It'll end in 18 months. Nothing, nothing doing. Stage six. This, this year, the year of 2023, how much pain have South Africans endured when it comes to just load shedding? Now we hear of water crises and, and the service delivery crisis just hasn't got better. Um, so in many ways, I think the Ramaphosa presidency up to this point has been a, a great, a colossal disappointment. And for that reason... I'm going to have to go with failed without a sub for the Ramaphosa presidency. Um, because of the expectations created, because of all that could have happened, and because how bad things have, have become. But uh, possibly his com political career is not, is not over, and so we shall see if he's able to turn around the economic trajectory, the state, the service delivery, and governance in due course but where i sit right now maybe it's recency bias as well i don't know but it just feels like things things are really rough in the republic and um yeah south africa is 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 a wonderful place with with just a, a tough government and uh difficult circumstances so that's the ranking system um, look, this is obviously completely subjective. Uh, we all have our own political views in the country. And we. one thing that's great across all these presidencies is we can actually talk about our views. We can criticize people and we can have a debate about what went right, what went wrong. What do you think about the different presidents? Would you put President Mandela higher, President Beki higher? Did I go too low with President Ramaphosa and President Zuma? What would you do? Give me your rankings down in the comments. Give me one to five where you would rank the different presidents and maybe explain why as well. And then let's see what different people's rankings are. Maybe your rankings are completely different to me. Maybe you think Zuma was the best president. Some of you might think actually Ramaphosa was IAA level and you know it was the Mbeki presidency was the worst. Let's have this conversation and debate. One thing, and I'd like to conclude on this, is... We've never had a truly Ayeye president, in my view. What would an Ayeye presidency look like? Economic growth would be booming. 4%, 5%, then to 10%, and you'd see the economy really starting to turn around. We'd actually start dealing a blow to unemployment, start seeing people working, start seeing people coming out of poverty, and then we would start dealing with the structural injustices, the spatial inequality of South Africa. We'd start making sure that we eradicated things like informal settlements, start changing the spatial dynamics of how far people have to travel to work and really starting to undo the legacy of apartheid. At the same time, the country would be coming together. There'd be more unity. There'd be more social cohesion, not based on a sporting event, but based on true togetherness. And we would see a government that was committed to fighting corruption. If anyone was corrupt, they would be out. 
there would be clean governance, there wouldn't be so many different ministries, and there would be a commitment to having the best minds attacking the different problems and getting the best talent into the state so that the state could do the work of fulfilling the aspirations of the people. And that would happen over a period of 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and we would truly have a golden era and a golden age in South Africa where we would finally realize our nation's true purpose. That's what Ayeye level looks like to me. And I don't believe we've ever truly had a president like that. So we can only hope that in the future, we find that political leadership, that golden age for our country, and that we get there. But for now, we've analyzed the presidents that we've had over our country's history, our highs, our lows, and our meaty moments. And I hope you've enjoyed this installment of SMWX. Like, share, help us get to our next milestone of 100,000 views. And thank you for tuning in. Hey.